Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Happy 60th birthday today to Big Kenny of the catchy country music duo Big and Rich. We spoke in 2019 when he performed during the Congressional Baseball Game at Nationals Park, discussing his journey from Culpeper, Virginia to Nashville, Tennessee to record hits like Come Into Your City and Save a Horse, Ride a Cowboy. Yeah, man, I'm super excited about coming back to D.C. What a good time this is looking forward to being. Now, what you said coming back to D.C., um, you're originally from, like, what, like Culpeper, Virginia, right? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, my hometown's Culpeper, Virginia, so um, I think we're exactly 90 miles away from Washington, D.C., and, and uh, every time I'm coming through the East Coast, you know, now I've got a couple young boys, too, I, I love to bring them through D.C. I think it's just a great celebration of America, beautiful buildings, monuments, there's just so much to see and do, and and uh, so much for the kids to learn, man. I love it. Awesome. And you'll, so what do you? What will you be doing? You'll be doing the National Anthem? Well, uh, no, they don't have me doing the National Anthem, but we do have a surprise, I think, coming uh, sometime around the, the fifth ending uh, uh, with a, a Big Kenny rendition of uh, Take, me, Take Me Back to the Ball Game. Oh, that'll be awesome. Yeah, that'll <laughs> be really cool. I can't wait yeah. to hear your version of Take Me Back to the Ball Game. That's so good. Yeah. Did you, were you a big were you a baseball guy growing up? Because I know the the Nats wouldn't have been around when you were growing. But were you Orioles or what? What are you in Virginia at that point? <laughs> yeah, it was the Orioles at that point. Um, back when I was a kid, and and yeah, you know, pop liked to uh, watch a little baseball, and of course, uh, the boys in my family we all played a little baseball, and uh, you know, we were raised on a farm there, so we had a big field out back, and we'd be getting the game up whenever we could. But uh, in between the rest of the work, but I tell you what's so super exciting about this game is not just the the baseball, but it's just the coming together of uh, everyone in D.C. to do good. You know, it's it's the the this event is the greatest celebration of bipartisanship for good in our capital, and that's really what I find just super exciting about it. It's just seeing. Seeing uh, people get together, you know, no matter what their political opinions are, uh, to have fun, to celebrate uh, not only baseball, but to celebrate our country and our community and to give back inside of our community. So that's just a, a super exciting uh, thing to see and to be a part of. And, and uh, you know, I know there's so many that are, are really looking forward to that day. It's such a great point because day in and day out here in D.C., you hear all about, you know, the 
the partisanship and Republicans and Democrats and all the elections and arguments. But, man, it's nice that they can sit and decide and just, you know, lace them up and, and come out of the dugouts and, and just play a nice game against each other. It, yeah. I, mean, I think it reminds everybody that, that we really have more in common than, than we than we don't have in common. Yep. That's it, man. That's it. And, and of course, also this day there's going to be, um, uh, you know, we're also going to be celebrating our, our veterans and uh, first responders, primarily our Capitol Police. And, uh, you know, that that's a big one also. You know, I got a bunch of got a bunch of friends in that that world, and and um, you know just knowing what they've gone through at times, what they go through continually to you know keep everyone safe here in the capital. I think it's especially especially important that we um, you know do a, a toast to them also, and, and uh, commend them for the great work that they do. Awesome, definitely. Now you mentioned that you grew up uh, in Culpeper. How did you, um, you know, how did you start playing music and, and eventually make your way down to Nashville? <laughs> well, uh, that that's a, a lengthy, it's a long story. story. <laughs> but uh, to make a long story short, you know, um, you know, I was uh, working in a farm on the farm there in Virginia and and working in construction and and really, um, you know, I was brought up. I was playing music as a kid. I was brought up that music was something you know, good to have in your life, but you, but you really had to be out there working a real job. So so the realization that happened uh, in my life right around nine, 1990s with a, there was a, a savings and loan crisis that swept across the country, and it really put everybody out of the construction business. So my friends were always saying, hey, man, you sing pretty good. You ought to go to Nashville. So lo and behold, after I got everything tied up that I could, um, I went to Nashville. I didn't didn't know anyone. I just kind of went to the city and said, "Here I am. Let, let's see what we got going. I want to make some music." And uh, you know, I wrote songs every day and had a band. Got a band together within a few months. And next thing you know, I'm playing four nights a week. And I just worked, worked, worked until you know it seems like no time at all. But next thing you know, 1999, I got a record deal. Um, my first record deal. And then I got my, you know, we always got the whole music mafia thing together there in the early 2000s. And then it was 2003 that John and I got signed as Big and Rich. And then uh, I guess a lot of us, uh, you know, the, the rest of the story everyone knows from that point. And now we're going on, what, 15 years uh, um, better uh, of a career as Big and Rich. And touring around the whole country this year with the Peace, Love, and Happy Hour uh, tour. And uh, things are just going as great as ever. And uh, we so appreciate all the fans that come out to see us everywhere. We're playing the biggest festivals that are going on across America right now and North America. And uh, it's just a blast. Man. It's just a blast. So I'm super happy I was able to work this into my schedule this year and be here for the for the congressional baseball game, man. It, it's, this, this game has a super history of its charitable uh, giving inside of the community here also. It just it makes it a, a just a, a, a super, super everything good that America's about event going on, and, and I just couldn't be happier or prouder to be able to make it this year. Totally. Um, and if you got a few minutes, I want I, I wanted to have, I have a couple big and rich questions for you. First of all, you and you meeting John Rich, how did exactly did that happen? So you're already in Nashville a couple of years, playing <laughs> Playing four nights a week, you're saying, right? How did you no, actually meet Well, John, John and I, 
John and I got introduced by uh, a gal named Cindy Simmons that was working for Fender and Guild Guitars at the time. She was an artist rep. They called her the Fender chick. And she knew she knew me because of my band playing around Nashville, and she knew John because of the band he was in at that time, Lone Star. But John had gotten um, he he'd gotten removed from the band. He'd left the band. And uh, she knew that he was, you know, a great songwriter and had, you know, a sundry of interest in music just like myself and thought we would do great writing together. She just, she just thought we both had the same sort of inspiration and brought him out to a show one night. I was playing a little club at Nashville uh, called Douglas Warner. And at the end of my shows back then, I used to think it was always good to bring something you could give to people. They, they'd have something to leave with to remember the show by. So I would, you know, go out and get a, you know, a big bag of, of um, you know, uh, after Halloween <laughs> price uh, candy, a big bag of after Halloween price candy. And uh, that night I had a big bag of, I think it's double bubble bubble gum, and at the end of the show I'm slinging it out to everybody, and I grabbed a big handful, make sure I got them all the way to the back of the room, which happened to be where John was standing that night, and she brought him to the show, and the piece hit him. Uh, right underneath his cowboy hat on his forehead between his eyes, man. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> he, he said, he said uh, when he came to the show, he was going, you know, what's a big Kenny? Who, what am I going to meet? And uh, he said he didn't know if he was so interested in meeting this guy named Big Kenny. But and then after that hit him, he, he, he was really having his second thoughts. But she introduced us and, and uh, you know, kept at it until we finally got together and wrote a song. And uh, our writing session went so well, we we got together the next day and wrote another song. And by the end of that year, we had about a hundred songs. So wow. she was right. The the writing dynamic was fantastic between us. And you know, it was really our songwriting that brought us together for our first record deal. Because John had gotten another solo deal at that point in time, and and but that didn't go so well. But worse, because of the music mafias, we've been asked to come in. Uh, one morning, meet with Paul Orley at Warner Records. He had just taken over the job there as the GM. And uh, we sat down with our guitarist, thinking we're playing him some new songs to pitch for artists uh, there. You know, we're thinking we're going to get us on Martina McBride, which we did, by the way. But <laughs> he stood up and said, um, he stood up, slapped his hand on his desk and said, I want to do this. And we go, you want to do what? You know, cut one of our songs. He says, no, I want to sign you two guys as my first first." signing to Warner Brothers. And Damn. so it really just happened as a shock. <laughs> and uh, lo and behold, you know, we put out our first act on, first album on Warner Brothers that came out in uh, 2004. And in that same year, Tim McGraw took us out on tour with him to 86 cities around America. And, you know, the same horse out of Cowboy came out that summer and everything just blew up. And it's been going like rocket ships ever since. Absolutely, man. That I, I'll never forget when you guys blew up, and a lot of people that come out to the congressional baseball game. Well, of course, we'll know you from what you, the the song you just mentioned, "Save a Horse, Ride yeah, a Cowboy." How did you guys yeah. come up? With, that's what that's going to be playing forever. I mean, that's like one of the most fun, but also creatively, you know, lyrically. That's just a creative idea. Like, oh yeah, why yeah. Why, why ride a horse? Just hop on me. <laughs> How do you come up with that? <laughs> yeah. Well. Nuts. This is a nuts thing that happened, but um, I had been asked to be a mentor to 50 students that had won a essay contest to come to Nashville if you put through 
Priceless Edge program. And I've been asked to be their music mentor, so I was to break them up into groups of 10, write songs with them, and then take them in the studio, show them how to recording process, and then we're going to hit the stage and perform them live. So in the midst of, of me getting this, this job, um, I'm reaching out to my friends and, and uh, you know, I asked John, you know, John and I write all the time, and John, will you come write, write these with me? And in this one group, you know, of 10 students, it was 50 of them total, one group of 10, had gone around the room and just meeting everybody, asking them where they're from, and they're all from different states and different places. And uh, and uh, the first the first time we did that, different states, different places, I said, I got this song out here called Coming to Your City and All These Places Here. You know, those are places we're going to be coming. So we ended up writing about all of those places in this song that became a hit called Coming to Your City, which yeah. you probably know from uh, college game day football. It's been the theme song for that now. No, you said it wrong. Over it's, 10 it's, years. It's coming right? to your cité. It's cité. Hey, you got to say to it right. <laughs> so, so those 10, those 10 places in that song came from the 10 places those 10 students were in that group. So then there's another group. We're going around, meet everybody, find out where they're from, and, and you know, start talking about the songwriting process and, and just ask. So has anybody here in the group heard anybody say something since you've been here in Nashville that you thought was just kind of crazy? This one girl raises her hand and says, yeah, we walked to the Wild Horse Saloon last night, and I hadn't been in there 10 minutes before this cowboy comes up to me and says, hey, darling, you want to save a horse and ride a cowboy? (laughs) And she goes, you know, I go on, and I said, I'd seen seen it on a bumper sticker somewhere, but I'd never had anyone ask me that before. John and I looked at each other and said, well, that's our song. That's their song. That's got to be written. And within the next hour, right there in front of them, we wrote that song. That's genius. And uh, well, it turned out to be our stairway to heaven. You know, it's our sweet home, Alabama. You can't play it anywhere and not drum up a party. And, you know, in a town like Music City now that's got a 100 honky-tonks blaring out live music on, you know, lower Broadway, you can go from pub to pub and probably hear the song with dozen times in any given night and it it is just that popular (laughs) it's so true you're right i mean that that is your sweet home alabama it'll be played forever as long as as long as country exists that song will be around Um, exactly but that's that's a really yeah right Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. That, I mean, that's, that's just a fun party one. But if, if anyone were to say, oh, that's just a party group, all they got to do is put on um, holy water. Man, you guys can do some serious, serious issues, too. Um, I know that was a little personal to you guys. Remind our yeah. listeners, remind our listeners uh, how you can deal with a serious topic like that, too. Yeah, well, um, you know, life's not all just fun and games all the time. And, and music, I mean, especially country music, I think is they're able to preach and, and talk about things that are, you know, super important or emotional issues in people's lives. And, you know, in the case of Holy Water, it was abuse. And, you know, abuse, we found at that point in time, you know, and John and I were talking about it, and that, you know, it seemed like the Almost half of the girls you talk to or half the people we talk to in our lives, you know, have been through these horrific situations. And, uh, and it seemed like, you know, music was the one thing that could, you know, bring some some closure or comfort or, or you know, some com- compassion to that issue. And, and so the song Holy Water came about. It, it was another one of those songs where you write it and you, you don't know how it's affecting people, but you start playing it live. And all of a sudden, you have people come up to you and say, "Man, that song just, you know, it it, it just changed my whole my whole look at at, at things." And man, thank you so much for writing. And or, you know, years after we wrote it, have people come up to you and thank you. That song saved my life. I mean, it's just amazing the power a song can have. You take holy water, and another one I think that's been, you know, one of our our, our most poignant from a storytelling standpoint is uh, the song "The Eighth of November." Eighth yeah, of November yeah. Written about about a, a story from this Vietnam vet that John and I met in uh, Deadwood, South Dakota. His name is Niles Harris. He was a bartender there. The first time that we'd ever played a juke joint that had Big and Rich on a ticket, 2002 Deadwood, South Dakota. We're wow. playing, you know, maybe 100 people in the room. But this guy was a bartender had that, that top hat on. I'd gone to meet him in between sets, say hi, grab a cold beverage. And, and uh, next thing you know, we became friends. And, and the next day we're Grab breakfast, we're riding around. He's going to show us the gold mountains and the Black Hills, you know. And, and next thing you know, I'm hearing all these stories about him. And, and you know, over the the, the, the next time we, we had, uh, the, the friendship got where the story was deep enough that, that uh, he's going, you know what, you guys ought to write a song about this. And lo and behold, sitting there in, in Delaware, South Dakota, we wrote that chorus. And then, you know, over time as we you know, got more of his story. Now as it come to visit us in Nashville, we were recording the record, believe it or not. And, and uh, you know, we got the completion of his story and, and wrote out the story that became the, the song, the 8th of November. And then we actually traveled back to Vietnam with him where he was wounded in War Zone B that day. We told his story in a documentary. We got our friends, Leonard speaking of Leonard Skinner and, and Gretchen Wilson to help us out for a big, show that we threw in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, back in uh, 2008, somewhere in there. Anyway, it raised enough money that, that day to, to finish off the budget to build the memorial for the 173rd Airborne in Fort Benning, Georgia. Wow. And so we now have a memorial standing there for all those, you know, that have lost, all those warriors that were lost or, or family members. 
get together in the first week of August um, in Deadwood, South Dakota again, and we throw a party up there during the Sturgis Bike Rally and uh, continue to raise uh, money for our veterans and the ongoing maintenance of the memorial there in Fort Benning. We actually got to visit that last summer. It's pretty powerful to go back and see it and realize how much it means to all those guys and families. Wow. That, thanks for that story. I mean, I've been up to to Deadwood and Sturgis and the Black Hills. I mean, that's beautiful. But I didn't know I didn't know your whole story with the the monument in Georgia. That that's fantastic, guys. Yeah, um, man. So if you're coming through the rally uh, this year, I think it's uh, August sixth, uh, Tuesday. That Tuesday, we always do the party right there, Main Street, Deadwood. There at the Deadwood Mountain Grand. So please come visit if you're in that area. Awesome. Well, uh, I know, I know uh, a lot of our listeners will know your, you know, your, the big and rich stuff. But um, just before we hop off here, I wanted to remind them that you know you were talking about you know how you and John were songwriters, but I know you you've written a lot of songs for other famous country artists like Gretchen and Jason Aldean, and uh, didn't you write Last Dollar for Tim McGraw too? Yeah, yeah, Last Dollar for Tim McGraw. That was a powerful, powerful song, um, and it became a number one song, and then. Man, all the things that happen from that are just unbelievable. But yeah, that that uh, you know is is uh, another one of those kind of story songs, but it's also just a good German song, also. But man, I had uh, been through—I hate to say—more than once that place in my life where I was down to my last dollar. I was down to my last dollar again in 2002 in Las Vegas in between deals. It was right before John and I got down that last time. Man, I'm out there. My my manager at the time, Mark Oswald, was doing the uh, Alabama farewell tour, and it was the first the first show. So I he told me get your, make your way out here to Vegas to see it. I've got a free hotel room for you, and, and uh, I think you'll really enjoy the whole experience. So I went out there to, to see that show, and and that's New Year's Eve. So I celebrated New Year's Eve with them in a nice big room overlooking, you know. Main Street, Vegas, and next thing you know, it's 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. I'm going to be heading back to Nashville. I've got an early flight, but, uh, you know, i, I only going out there on a couple hundred bucks my name, and it's pretty easy to blow that just trying to find a meal in <laughs> Vegas. But I'm down to probably $100, and, and about 3 a.m. in the morning, I'm going, what am I going to do? i got to pay my bills when I get back to town. So I went and sat down at a blackjack table like any of us would have, and I started figuring <laughs> out. I would just turn it into what I mean. And I'd play for about three hours. It's probably 5 or 6 a.m. in the morning. But now I've got to got to get back to my room for this early flight. And I had I had won 10 hands in a row. I, I'd uh, gotten my money up to about $800. And if I, if I won one more time, that was going to be everything I needed to pay my bills. My rent <laughs> and everything. And, and so I was feeling real good about it. And I pushed it out there. And... Uh, Lo and behold, that, that dealer who had dealt me 10 winning hands, she, uh, on that hand, decided to deal herself a blackjack. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> it didn't turn out exactly like I'd hoped it to, but it it actually turned out even better. I had a, had two chips left. I had a $20 chip. I gave that to her, told her how much fun I'd had, and I grabbed that $1 chip. I pushed my way, stuff away from the table and said, I'm going to keep this because I'm going to need a little something to start over with. And I went up to my hotel room. I sat down on the corner of the bed. I pulled off my went to pull off my boots, and the heel pulled right off the bottom of my boot. 
<laughs> so I laid back on the bed and I went, what next, Lord? And within about 30 minutes, I got down to your last dollar of walking. Really small remodel of all the hell that I've got to do. Look at me still smiling because I'm wondering what I'll do. Because since I ain't got nothing, I got nothing to lose. And one, two, three, like a bird, I think it has given me such a beautiful set of wings. And I'm so glad you're all here today because tomorrow I might have to go and fly away. And fly, away. <laughs> fly, away. <laughs> fly away. Fly away. Fly away. And then, who'd have known it? But man, I've been, I, so then all that year in 2003, I'm playing that song everywhere, writer's nights, wherever I am. I tell people loved it. But I was broke, so I couldn't get in the studio and record it. But in 2004, things changed around a lot. You know, we've been out on tour with Tim McGraw that year. And so when it got to the end of that year, you know, I paid off all my bills and, and I, I could go back in the studio to record some demos. And I'm in the studio recording demos. It was right around Christmas and New Year. And Tim happened to be in the same studio there working at the same time and came in and heard that song and asked him if he could cut it. And I went, well, I don't think I could tell Kevin McGraw not to cut one of my songs. So, yes, you want to do it, you can do it. He cuts the song, and then his record label uh, told him he couldn't put the record out because they were trying to keep him signed for a few years longer. They made him put out some greatest hits. So the song oh, yeah, I remember that. Out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it didn't end up coming out until two years later. It was 2007. But it was the first song he put out off that album, and it went to number one. And did you? And once that song went to number one, were you able to fix that boot? <laughs> once the song went to number one, I was able to do a lot of things. And what I did, what I did is I took my first my check that came from BMI, and um, by then I'd been made aware of a bunch of situations going down around the country. We 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 one check went to pull, you know, help gals go on the streets there in Nashville. Um, in Music City, went to an organization there. Um, then another one that was pulling homeless kids off the streets out in L.A. That uh, um, a great friend of mine, actually one of my ministers to the state, Damian Horn, has been helped by that project. And then there were these gals up here in the Northeast that showed me, made aware of the situation. I it was going down over in the Sahara where these, these gals were you know, just the most terrible, horrific things being done to them and and so we bought girls we 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 helped them to another organization to try to buy as many of them as we could out of slavery and over the next two years we got the first girls school built in the middle of sudan believe it or not so you know it just took on some of the most hellish conditions that we saw there at that time that were presented to us and tried to do whatever we could about it and you know still to this day you know trying to do what we can wherever we can and and, you know, a lot of that involves children, wherever they are, and making sure our children got something to eat um, and, uh, you know, at least got a chance at a, at a, a life in front of them. And, and, uh, and they're veterans and first responders. That's all personal to me because of, you know, family members that have served. You know, I was a volunteer. We, me and my father helped build our volunteer fire department back in my old hometown there in Salem. You know, the community inside of Culpeper. You know, I, I've got relationships with veterans and military folks from years and years now. And, and uh, you know, those are all just people that I, I think are there on the front lines that should be really important to all of us. And so that's another reason it makes it just super exciting.
game, and I, I know they do so much here in the community too, you know, for all sorts of projects, helping children and helping our vets and first responders. So it's just a super, super good one for everyone, man, and I, I think a great one for Washington, D.C. So I'm looking forward to being here that day. You never know what might inspire another song. And uh, it's great to tell you a couple of stories and appreciate your time, man. And uh, and uh, hopefully we'll see see everyone there uh, at the ballpark. Yeah, you've been more than generous with your time. We've got a lot of great stories out of you. So thanks so much. We appreciate it. Everybody come out Wednesday, uh, the congressional baseball game, with a special Take Me Out to the Ball Game by Big Kenny of Big and Rich. Thanks so much, man. This is yeah, great. Yeah, and uh, be there with my friends from Ride TV also, you know, representing all the horse horse riders there in America and, uh, and and our whole agricultural rural community, which I'm engaged with also. So, you know, hopefully a few of those uh, fans from out here in the surrounding counties around D.C. will be able to make it in for the game also. And we're really looking forward to it. God bless you, brother, and hope to see you there next week. Yes, horse riders and cowboy riders, right? Okay. You got it. You All right, got it. All right man. Thanks again. <laughs> Take care, buddy. Thanks so much for listening to Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Our theme music is Scott Buckley's Clarion. Remember to give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time.